When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to the family with Alex Brant-Bernard Rasmussen, co-host Catherine Brandt, and Andy Brant-Bernard. We'll be right back. Mark Bittman, uh, new original podcast, Food with Mark Bittman on, what is it, ACAST podcast? Is that how you pronounce it? Is it ACAST or ACAST? Uh, I guess we Probably can ask A-cast. him when we come back. He can tell We us. will ask Mark Bittman right after this with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant tommy do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue you mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the Walzer world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finished number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. 
Hey folks, it's Brian Zepp, and spring is finally here. If you're like me, you're seriously ready for some wind therapy. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. Andy ro- rocking and rolling on the drum kit. There's no doubt about it. Just tell me when Mark's ready to go, He's and ready. we'll go. Mark Bittman, how you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on, ladies and gentlemen. A new original podcast, Food with Mark Bittman. Is it? It's Acast. Is that correct? Acast podcast. Acast is the is the network, but you know podcasts. None of us understand how they work. Um, well, that's true. Well, but you're right usual, it's available for, through Apple and Spotify and all the usual platforms. Right, exactly. Mark Bittman is the author of 30 books. Oh, no, that's too bad, Mark. I only interview people who have done 31 books. <laughs> I think he might be a 31. <laughs> <laughs> he might be a 31 now. That's good. Mark Bittman is the author of 30 books, including How to Cook Everything series and the number one New York Times bestseller, VB6, Eat Vegan. Now, Alex, you're going to want to jump on this one. VB6, right. Eat Vegan Before 6 to Lose Weight and Restore Your Health. What do you think about that, Alex? Eat Vegan Before 6. Uh-huh. Before 6 a.m., I'm on it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can get up at uh, like five to six and have a carrot, and you're good to go. Yep. Uh, that's a, that's an interesting plan. VB. I'm sorry to kind of dwell on that, Mark, but I'm fascinated by that. VB six. Eat vegan before six to lose weight and restore your health for good. I love that whole take. He was the uh, food journalist and columnist, uh, opinion columnist, and the lead magazine food writer at the New York Times, where he started writing in 1984 and stayed for 30 years. I want to hear all about it. what's the latest, Mark. So you're doing podcasts, you do television, you do write, they books. You get you got it all covered. Well, the podcast is is the latest thing we're doing, and the reason we want to do it is, um, you know, podcasts are incredibly popular. Most of us listen to them. They're convenient. They're varied. Um, yep. And so on. And <laughs> we had this opportunity to do one, and no one is doing the kind of thing that we do, which is talk about food all aspects of food. So we do recipes, but we also interview people about food policy, about farming, about uh, nutrition. Um, and we we also talk to people who are not really in the so-called food world, but everyone is interested in food. So no matter who you yeah. talk to, I mean, even this conversation, for example, people will have opinions about food. Everybody's an expert. Everybody knows what they're sure. talking about. And we want to get a variety of voices in a way that no one else does talking about food on the podcast. I love it. Mark, I, one of the things that popped into my head, and I've never asked anybody else this. I brought up the point before. I was uh, born in Long Prairie, Minnesota, moved to Minneapolis when I was like a year old, um, and grew up in, in uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. And I will tell you this, uh, you know, so I, I just remember eating at restaurants in the 60s and the 70s. And at that time in, in the Twin Cities area, there were about three good restaurants. There's a nice Italian place. There was a couple of good steakhouses, three or four good restaurants. Yeah, it's pretty bleak. Now, Mark, 
There are so many great restaurants in the state of Minnesota, you can't even count them. What happened in the 70s where it woke everybody up and said, you're doing it wrong, this is how you need to do it? Did, did something specific happen, Mark? I mean, I think that we saw that food was moving in the wrong direction. And, and, oh, okay. Uh, originally, the organic thing was not a joke. I mean, it was people who were serious who were saying, let's try to grow food right and let's try to treat the land right. And that translated to, let's try to treat eaters right. And people realized that, and I think began to eat better, began to look for better ingredients, began to cook from scratch again, which is something that sort of disappeared in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, Mm -hmm. and has made something of a comeback. Uh, I, I think it's just a gradual, it's been a gradual metamorphosis. Restaurants are... Restaurants are one good sign, but another good sign is the number of farms and farmers that are that are growing food right, mm-hmm. and the number of home cooks who are carefully shopping and look for, looking for ingredients that that are grown right and that and that are high nutrition and and unprocessed. So that makes sense, Mark. That, that basically one of the biggest reasons so many more great restaurants exist in the Twin Cities is because the way the food's being grown and processed is much better than it used to be. That's that's one of the huge reasons. Is that correct? I think that's right, but I also think it's just that people are more aware of what good food is. I mean, it's yeah, when, yeah, sounds like we're about the same age in the fifties and sixties. People just didn't think about it. It was all about convenience and how fast can you get it on the table and can you just use a can or combine a couple of things from cans? And certainly there's still people doing that, but fewer. More people are interested in what can I buy that's really good and how can I eat it in a great way? Yeah, I mean, that's, there's no question about that. One of my, I think the first one that I ever went through, I was, I've been in radio now for 51 years. Um, we and this podcast has been on, uh, what, it'll be 10 years in August. That's right, Andy, correct? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, 10 years in August. So So we've been doing radio and and podcasting for a long time. And and the thing about it is, before then, I grew up not a whole hell of a lot of money in the family. And I do remember sitting, I'm just doing a comparison between today and 1970. 1970. So I I was being a nighttime disc jockey at uh, KSTP, local station in town. And one of the disc jockeys said, hey, let's go out to dinner after your show. I said, hey, sounds good. Okay, we'll go. He said, I'll buy. I said, okay. So we went to a hotel in town. It was a Sheraton at the time. It's no longer there. We had this wonderful dinner. And now you have to remember, I had just gotten this job, and I came from a very poor family. So I looked. When he went to the bathroom, they brought the bill, and I looked at the bill. And we both had this wonderful steak dinner. It was very, very good. A couple of a couple of glasses of, of wine and all the rest of it. And I remember the bill was $40, Mark. And I said to myself, if I ever make enough money to pay $40 to go to dinner, man... <laughs> right, Mark. You know what I'm saying. You know, the problem was, the problem was that by the time you made enough money for that forty dollars dinner, the dinner was one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly right. Now it's, it's forty my... bucks for a steak at a restaurant. Mark, we were ju- we just right. took the grandkids to to Disney World. We had dinner uh, for four adults. Alex was with us. Catherine. Her buddy Dana and me, and then a couple of a three and a five year old who didn't eat. They ordered something. The bill at Disney World was four hundred dollars, and the food was dismal, right. horrible, <laughs> horrible. Yeah, yeah. dismal. The uh, German so, place was pretty good. We went back to Germany, and that was right delicious. There. That was pretty good. Yep. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> 
But, Mark, honest to God, I, I'm so glad you reacted the way you did. From $40 to $400 in one 50-year right. period. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that I like to encourage people. I have nothing against restaurants, but I right. have so right. much more control over what you do when you cook at home. And, and obviously, it's so much less expensive. And when you go out, you relinquish everything. You don't know where the ingredients are coming from. Your choices are limited. And you don't even know... You really don't know what you're eating or how it's been prepared. I'm not saying right. people shouldn't eat in restaurants, but I am saying home cooking should be the foundation of a good diet. It is the foundation of sure. a good diet. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, well, we talk, talk about that. It absolutely is. I mean, if, if, if we're on the road and I'm eating in restaurants... My body just goes into revolt. Yep. <laughs> After three or four days, it's like, I feel terrible. I need much, to go yeah. home and eat non-salty food. Mm-hmm. It just right. makes a huge difference to cook at home. Yeah. I have the same experience. You just want to go home and cook. Yeah, yeah no doubt about it. Is it still true, Mark, That because uh, a lot of people, Anthony Bourdain was one of them, that said, don't kid yourself. If you're eating at a restaurant, you're eating a lot of salt and butter. Oh, God, That's what yeah. you're eating. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that you cannot possibly make risotto at home as good as you get it in restaurants, I mean, you can, but you have to use what looks like unconscionable amounts of butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. There you go. How did you get uh, so interested? Were you interested in, in food as a child? How, how, did it, how did it appeal to you? And at what age did it appeal to you to say, I wanted, this is what I want to do? I mean... It sounds like we're exactly the same age. And back in the 60s, I grew up in New York, so I was exposed to you know, a lot more food than you were, I think, of different kinds. It wasn't yeah, all that sure. great, but there was a pretty wide variety. Um, and when I went off to Massachusetts, where the food was pretty abysmal in the late 60s, early 70s, I kind of started cooking out of self-defense. It was just like, I probably can do better than this. And I started shopping, and I started learning how to cook. I mean, I remember the days where I would literally be the only man in a supermarket except for, like, the sales. Sure. I mean, it's sure. all housewives and me. But I was learning about shopping, and I was learning about cooking. And as I did it, it just, I really liked it. I took to it. I did better and better at it. And then when I started writing about it, one thing led to another. You might say my career and my hobby fed off themselves. Uh-huh. Um, fed off <laughs> get, each other. get and, it? <laughs> get it? And, um, <laughs> and then I started getting paid to write about food. So that was 1980, 1982. So it's been a good 40 years that I've been doing it now. Yeah, that's a wonderful thing. I hope you like this story very quickly. Uh, just a couple of years ago on this show, the podcast here with the family, Frank Pellegrino came on and we were talking about this, that, and the other thing. And I said, live on the air, I said, Frank, is there any chance you think I could get a table at Rayo's? And he goes, no. <laughs> so so that, that, was the end of the, that was the end of that uh, conversation, right? No, there's not a way you can. Forget it. Go to Vegas. Go to the one in Vegas, all right? Isn't that wonderful? Uh, it just, th- that's a huge part well, of it for, him, for me. For you. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest parts of food for me would be the company. To meet, uh, you know, to go to dinner with your family, to meet up with friends, to have dinner with somebody you haven't seen in a long time. That's a huge part. I grew up a nice Catholic boy in North Minneapolis, and, and you know, family meals were a huge deal when we could have them. But, but going out to dinner with friends and family is just, it's just a wonderful thing. It's one of my favorite things to do. 
I totally agree. I mean, I I do think I prefer. Again, I'm going to sound anti-restaurant, but I like that home. <laughs> I like that yeah. home cooked meal more. I, I trust the food more. I know I'm not overpaying. There's more flexibility. You can go sit on the couch. There's <laughs> just a lot of different options. No, no, yeah, well, that's exactly right. You do kind of, there's a nice flow to those uh, in-house dinners. There's no question. Whereas uh, in a restaurant, you can't do that, but but at somebody's home, it's you're right. It's a great experience, no doubt about it. I want to hear a bit about some of the lecture series that you do. Uh, Mark Bittman is currently Special Advisor on Food Policy at Columbia University's Melman uh, School of uh, Public Health, where he teaches and hosts a lecture series called Food, Public Health, and Social Justice. What's that all about, Mark? Well, we've had a variety of a variety of speakers on a, on a whole wide range of topics, and it goes back to what I said at the beginning that food is not just about enjoying yourself. It's not just mm-hmm. about you know eating until you're full. It's about how do we treat the earth? How do we treat farmers? How do we nourish ourselves? How do we make sure that other people are nourished well? And we've spent a lot of time talking about those things at that at that lecture series that we've had. Farmers, we've had policymakers, we've had politicians, we've had nutritionists and other health experts, doctors who specialize in chronic disease, diet-related chronic disease especially, and so on down the line. And um, I've been doing it on and off for, I started doing it in Berkeley. I was living out there in 2015, and I've been doing it on and off since then. And we've had an incredible variety of, of really great people. Sometimes it's just one person giving a lecture, and sometimes it's a panel of, of several people. Um, and we do it. We try to involve the community. We do it uh, mostly in the in the winter time, uh, November to February, November to March. And um, yeah, it's really been good. Thank you for asking about that. No, I, I think it's very, very important. I love the title, Food, Public Health, and Social Justice. It's a great title, actually. Well, you know, if you if you think about food, food is about so much more than just eating. It is about, again, how we treat the earth, and that relates to climate change, of course. It relates to yeah. land use, who gets to own land and, and what they do with it. It relates to nutrition and food sovereignty and food security, nutrition security, who gets to eat well and who doesn't, and so on. There's so many topics we can talk about when we talk about food. And and I've done that in the lecture series. And, and again, that's what we're trying to do on the podcast, is to bring out all of those different, all of those different issues. It's such an important part of our lives, and I think it, it is definitely around the world, but in America... One of my most exciting moments I do remember in 1977 at the age of 25 years old, I got a job as the uh, the head of promotion for Capitol Records in the Midwest. And along with that title, became, I got an airline travel card and an expense account. And let me tell you, I learned how to eat after 25 years old. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, pal. <laughs> Just you know, going to Saint, going to Tony's in St. Louis, or going—I could run down a whole list of the entire, you know, from New Orleans all the way up to Minneapolis-St. Paul and the Central United States. That's another huge part of it for me, Mark, is the the the, the memories of going to dinner. Uh, like I said, whether it's in Chicago or St. Louis or New Orleans or whatever, that's a huge part of of meals for me. So a huge part of food for me is the memories you had and the people you ate with. It's a huge part for me. Yeah, food is obviously really important to everyone, and it is our it is um, 
it's the main source of pleasure that we talk about. I mean, we don't talk about sex very much. And right. We don't talk right. about sleeping, which all of us enjoy. But food we talk about all the time, and it's something that we all share. There's no exception. Everybody shares a relationship with food, and to the extent that we enjoy it, we can talk about it. This is really an important thing. Yeah, and, and the great thing about that now, particularly now, I mean, it's been many, many years, but in 2022, you can, uh, Catherine is, is here with me, and we've been together for 42 years, and uh, you want to go out to dinner tonight, we go to dinner. You don't want to go out to dinner tonight, what do you want to do? Um, you grab something very quick, you grab something to cook at home. There are many, many different levels and many different ways to have dinner, and I love that when Catherine and I talk about, well, why don't we do this, this, and this, and then tomorrow night we'll go to Restoration Hardware and have dinner. That, you know, I, I love that part of it, too, the, so, the social part of it, you know, right? I mean, I, yeah. I guess you don't mean eating dinner at Restoration Hardware. Well, actually, they do have a, a in, in West Palm Beach and in, right? in, Dynam, in Dynam, Minnesota, they have great restaurants at Restoration Hardware. They do. Well, I never knew that, huh? Interesting. Oh, the food's the, uh, Mark, you'd love it. The food's terrific. Catherine, wouldn't don't you think? It is love? really good, and it's, it's really not good. it's not too salty for a switch. As a matter of fact, Mark, this will show you exactly hey, how old I am, food. and then you can say if you and I are the exact same age. Because tomorrow night, Catherine and I are going to Restoration Hardware for dinner, and we're going to see Johnny Mathis. <laughs> what do you think of that? Well, I mean, I mean, I can't believe he's alive. I know. I didn't. Even, I know. Tom's like, do you want to go see Johnny I was like Mathis? Nine years I'm like, old when he was singing. Right? I know. I was like, is he alive? Sure enough, he's I still singing. He I just, but see, that's exciting. You go see one of the people that you were a little little kid, like you said, nine years old, listening to, to listen. I've never seen him, so I'm looking forward to that. But but that's a huge deal. You can't go to a, you cannot go to a concert without either having dinner before or afterward. Dinner's still a, if you're going to a concert, you're going to go out to dinner in general, I think, aren't you? Yeah, that's true. I mean, in the old days, we didn't do that. When we were, no. when I was really young, we just go drinking or smoking pot or whatever. <laughs> but now, yes. Yeah, we Boy, Mark, we, um, we are the I'm same very age. very excited about this Johnny Mathis thing. <laughs> oh, you should, come, you should come and you'd have a great time. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Bittman's here, Johnny Mathis. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. <laughs> but it, but it's the culture, the American culture, whether it's, hey, why don't you come to my, well, for, for my birthday, November 7th is my birthday, and the mayor of South St. Paul, Jimmy Francis, invited us over, and this boy and three of his friends, well, his wife, his, uh, his in-laws, they stayed in the kitchen and cooked up this dinner, exactly what you're talking about, eating at home. My God, what a thrill. Wasn't that great, Catherine? Yes, absolutely. It was just a wonderful time. So I know exactly what you're talking about, eating, just sitting down at someone's uh, dinner table and eating dinner. That's that's a very, very touching and nice time, too, no doubt. Yeah, maybe once COVID yeah. leaves, we can go back to the dinner party. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah how is that, Mark? Sure. Has, has that affected that. Yeah. So has it affected your life quite a bit, the COVID thing and not being able to go to people's houses to have dinner and all that whole deal? I mean, we've relaxed a little. We live in the country, and it's... it's um, on a day-to-day basis, there's not that much contact with other people unless you want there to be. And we've relaxed. We've relaxed quite a bit. And most of our friends are vaccinated, and we all talked about it. But what have you been doing this week? Can we get together? Is it safe? And so on. And um, I think it, it's been more 
more normal. It's still not normal, but it's been right. more normal. Right. I mean, I know people, I know someone who got sick last week, so it's still happening, but, mm-hmm. but it certainly seems to be approaching normality. Mark, I'm going to take about a three-minute break. Be right back. We can have you for another 10 minutes. Is that okay with you? It is. Okay, I just want <laughs> one tip-off. Next time I do that, when I say, because you and I talk about being the exact same age and all the rest of it, next time I say, yeah, I went to my birthday on November 7th, you should have gone, God, that's my birthday. <laughs> 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 we'll right, be right next back. Time. Next time, Mark. We'll be right back with Mark Bittman right after this. Food with Mark Bittman on ACAST Podcasts. Right back with Mark after this. Dan Chesky's here from Dan Southside Marine. It won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water. Warmer temps and open water are coming soon, Tom. We have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a boat you're looking for this year, Dan? My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dan Southside Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit. Ask for details when you visit the store. Alumacraft Fishing Boats, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou Pontoons, all powered by Suzuki Outboards, are in stock now with new boats arriving daily. Dan Southside Marine is located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington, or shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like Suburban Manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy, and that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Bittman, our very special guest. By the way, uh, your birthday you share with a good friend of mine named Tommy O'Brien. He's a big listener. Uh, he will love this segment. Tommy O'Brien and you have the same exact birthday. So that's all I have to say. Oh, you look but nice. <laughs> I did. I, I just want, well, you're about a year and a half older than I am. But a year and a half is nothing. There you go. Well, you, but, you, you were a faster. I was a very late bloomer, I have to tell you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I love this because I entered your name on Google. I searched Google with your name. Here's what I came up with. And I really like this, actually. 
Mark Bittman No Need Bread, Mark Bittman Recipes, Mark Bittman Pizza Dough, How to Cook Everything, Pancakes, Roast Chicken, Banana Bread, Bread. I love that list, Mark. That's a great list. Um, well, we've tried, you know, over the years, it started with simple cooking, and then I was lucky enough to write How to Cook Everything, which really became a, a Bible of cooking for a whole new generation, and, and that that gave me the ability to kind of write what I wanted to. And then I got into the food and environment and health uh, area, and that's when I wrote a book called Food Matters and BB6, which you mentioned before. And mm-hmm. and then I started writing about food issues. I wrote, wrote the opinion column about food for the New York Times, and that gave me an opportunity to really focus seriously on the issues. And last, last year I published a book called Animal Vegetable Junk, which has done very well. It's right. a, a survey of how food became what it is in the United States. And this year, Kerry Conan and I published the Bread Book, and we launched the podcast. So I'm keeping busy. Keeping busy is good. Uh, another great uh, paragraph from the descriptor for Mark Bittman. Bittman has written for countless publications and spoken at dozens of universities and conferences. His 2007 TED Talk, What's Wrong with What We Eat, is almost 5 million views. He was a distinguished fellow at the University of California, Berkeley, and a fellow at the Union of Concerned Scientists. He has received not one, not two, but six James Beard Awards and an IACP Award. And that's not bad. Six James Beard Awards, pretty impressive there, Mark. Yeah, it's not bad. It's actually more than one ISVP award. Not that I'm bragging, but yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, awards, okay. awards are nice when you win them. Um, everybody says it's been honored to be nominated, and it is. But once you're nominated, you want to win. So that's that's really cool. But really, I, what I've been luckiest is that I've gotten to write and publish and talk about the things that I think are important in food. And that's that's really been the, the high point of my career. That is terrific. Now, growing up as a child, do you remember uh, your mother, your father? Were, were they good cooks? Could could they make a nice meal? I mean, my mother cooked largely out of love and obligation, but she was not that <laughs> my, interested in the food itself. There like you my, go. My mom was the same way. <laughs> I mean, you had to appreciate it. She put dinner on the table every single night. And yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't think she volunteered for that job, you know, but there it was. And and I think I learned the importance of eating home-cooked food daily from her. And that's a big and, and really important lesson. So um, the fact that I became, let's say, a better cook than... She was is really because I took an interest in learning how to cook well. She just took that job and took it seriously. She wasn't a big eater, and, and it just wasn't all that important to her. But it was important to her that her family eat well, and, and she did a good job of that. No, see, I'm glad to hear that. Catherine, my wife here, will tell you, my mother, I adored my mother. But she couldn't cook a lick. I'm not at all. I mean, not at all. Okay. Uh, I just, I've got two quick stories. Tell about them the roast. You got to tell them the roast. Oh story. yeah. She would have us over for dinner, and she, the, she would always make some sort of a roast, and it was just like shoe leather and just very bad tasting. And so I thought, well, maybe it's because she's buying like super cheap cuts of meat because she's, you know, she's used to not. She doesn't like to spend a lot of money. So we we brought over this beef tenderloin, and 
she was like, oh, well, thank you very much. And she cooked it. And it, it still was like shoe leather. Well, it was a charcoal briquette by the time she was done <laughs> she with it. Just, there, she, didn't like any, she didn't like any meat to have any juices whatsoever. No, no juice. No juice. <laughs> and then one time we were, in, uh, we were in Texas someplace, and they had these gorgeous avocados on this roadside stand. Sure. Yeah. And we had brought some back to our condo we were staying, and we made guacamole, and it was just the most delicious avocado in the whole world. So I went back to the stand and bought some more so we could bring them back home to Minnesota. And I brought one to, to Toots. And she's like, oh, thank you so much. What is that? <laughs> so I know it's, a, it's, it's an avocado. Oh, oh, that's really nice. And weeks later we were over there and I, I found it all shriveled up in, in the back of her refrigerator. <laughs> Well, she never ate a green food. No, no. No, nope. no, no greens. No greens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what was happening in that generation. It's really true. No, it is. You're absolutely right. That that, that was the greatest generation as, uh, you know, Tom Brokaw wrote the book, The Greatest Generation. They were, in, in my estimation, again, they were our parents, Mark, yours and mine, but they were the greatest generation. Those people did everything they could to deliver the United States of America the way we love it. You know, but they were great people, don't you think? Yes, but they didn't do a great job in moving the world of food forward, I don't have to no. say. But they <laughs> no, they did not. So there you go. <laughs> that was your your job and my job, and I just, it's so, isn't it nice to be able to, because I do love being on the radio and doing podcasts and all the rest of it, but isn't it nice to have, have locked in a profession that you absolutely, it's just like you wake up in the morning and go, that's what I do for a living? God, how wonderful is that? Yeah, well, that's what I meant when I said, uh, you said it better than I did, but that's what I meant when I said, really, the great privilege is that I get to write about and talk about the things that yep. I care about and things that I think are important, and it's, it's really been a wonderful career for me. I think it's thrilling. Well, now we got it. Now you're now you're stuck. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to come on all the time. I love talking to you about these things because I, I just I, well, like you said, we're about the same age. We've had the same experiences. Tend to like the same things. Uh, Sit down at the at the house and have a nice meal with the people that you love, and it's there's nothing better than that, Mark. It's it's the greatest thing of all time. Well, I'd love to come back. Let me know anytime. Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Have a great day, sir. It was a pleasure. My best to both of you. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Mark Bittman, ladies and gentlemen, a new original podcast, Food with Mark Bittman on ACAS Podcasts. I mean, this this guy has won it all. I mean, I just sent him uh, Alex a. Uh, a recipe from his Twitter page, a dairy-free tempeh ragu lasagna. Uh-oh, Alex. I but love tempeh good. so much. All right, you make that and let and have, let me have some. Okay, great. <laughs> I mean, here's a guy that has had four or five TV series. He's, he's yeah. won six James Beard Awards, the AICP Awards. He didn't say how many, but it was more than one. He's been a, uh, a fellow at Columbia, at uh, you know, all, Berkeley, uh, you get on the. This guy has achieved everything he set out to achieve. And what does he like? He likes to sit down and have a sandwich. <laughs> Isn't that great? There you go. See, I do love that. that it, I mean, you've got two kids now, and Andy, uh, as soon as Ethan grows up a little bit, learns to talk, and can just uh, sit at the table with you guys, you aren't going to believe how much you love that, Andy. Seriously, just sit down with your family and eat. It's one of the great things in life. Wouldn't you say so, Alex? Well, we actually just started um, doing this thing with the kids during meals because 
getting my children to sit isn't always easy. Well, no. And so we have a timer, a sand timer, and that keeps them there for like 10 minutes. But I'm like, okay, we need to kind of just, I was thinking about it and I was like, we don't ever have time. My kids aren't, we don't just sit and talk about like, how was school today? What, I mean, we talk about how was school today and everything, but it's always, you know, like, good. Who'd you play with at recess? Zachary and Adeline and like very minimal stuff. But then I was reading this thing about how when you sit down and actually have a conversation with them at dinner after school or after the day, that's when they can kind of have had time to process things and they'll actually share more with you. Mm-hmm. So we started doing this thing for breakfast and dinner. I got this. It's a There's a workbook and a card game. It's called Stop, Relax, and Think. And it's actually for autistic kids but um which my children are not autistic but i was like this just sounds like a really good thing for kids and people in general and it talks about like emotions and um problem solving and stuff like that and so we do the workbook at dinner and then the card game like we pull these cards at breakfast and it's just opened up such fun conversations in the workbook last night when we did like five pages of it and um the last page was sydney says which is simon says but for some reason in this workbook it was sydney says sure and we played sydney says for like 40 minutes after dinner was done and they were just laughing (laughs) their heads off it was hilarious and so yeah like having the meals be a time of just sitting and no television yeah Mm -hmm. sitting and talking and sharing about your day and and i mean my kids don't watch much tv in general but um they're always just so busy you know like if you give them free time they're just like you know this morning i woke up and i was making them breakfast and they created a beach on our well no they woke up and they both got in princess dresses and then they created a beach in our living room with all these blankets and c- gathered every single pillow from the entire house and created this whole scene and everything. And then, you know, so my kids are just really, really busy. And so getting them to just sit and have a conversation is nice. That's well, it. you grew up and I, I grew up. I don't know about you, Tom. I don't think you did. But I grew up. Everybody had to be at, at dinner. Nope. Everybody went out there. I mean, unless you were working, you and were ex, or were excused because you had an excuse like I'm having dinner at my friend's house or something. You were expected to be at the dinner table at six thirty, mm-hmm. and there, there was just no if ands or buts about it. And it was the only time that I spent any time with my siblings. Really? Yeah, I bet. I, I mean, because everybody yeah. was doing their own thing. Everybody was. Uh, different age bracket and unless you sat down at dinner you would have never seen their face all day long it was uh i think it was it's a great family tradition to sit down at a dinner table and have a proper meal yeah and and we had that in our house we sat down at the table and we ate unless it was pizza night then i think we did movie nights but yeah we always sat at the table and and ate yep that's what we do too and it's yeah and it's funny, it's, nice. it's, yeah, and like learning about feeding children and making your kids not super picky has been really interesting um, because I have so many friends whose kids are so, so picky and 
the whole thing is just like you make them the meal and you always have one or two foods on the plate that you know they're going to like. And then everything else is like, this is what we made. If you don't want to eat it, you don't have to eat it, but you don't make other things. And so it's like it takes the pressure off of like, why well, they have to be fed and they have to do this. And it's like your kids are going to eat, mm-hmm. you know, and like sitting and having the conversation about other things and whatever and then making food just kind of fun rather than like, you know, you have to eat your whatever or else you're not leaving this table kind of stuff. It's like they end up eating more and then they don't like my kids aren't picky eaters because I think that we I've tried really hard to just make food exciting and not stressful where I think a lot of people just do the like, you know, finish your plate or you have to eat your broccoli to get dessert and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I I agree. You guys weren't picky eaters. I think it's also because you're exposing kids to a bunch of different foods when they're young. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you're not just giving them, you know, chicken nuggets yeah. and an applesauce. Yeah. yeah. And if that's what they grow up on, then that's what they're going to yeah. want to eat. Yes. Yeah. So that makes a huge difference too. It's just exposing them to things. Oh, definitely. Like I remember you guys were eating things and your friends were like, "What?" Yeah. You're having what? I know. Wait, what? I, I think about that all. Artichokes. Oh, yeah. Couscous. Um, couscous. Couscous. I remember couscous oh, yeah. was completely <laughs> out of like anybody's very scope. Well. I'm actually making couscous for dinner tonight. I love couscous. <laughs> yeah. You guys loved couscous. couscous. We did love couscous. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I, I think about that often, too. I'm like, I remember how some of my friends were just like, what are you eating? This is weird. And I'm like, with me being a vegetarian, we eat a lot of, you know, things that I think a lot of kids don't eat. And so mm-hmm. I was thinking about that the other day, about how when Fawn and Sage start having friends come over for dinner, there are probably going to be a lot oh. of them that are like, what is this? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's, uh, that whole thing is wonderful, don't you think? Now, Andy, oh, Andy and Alex and Mom, you can all answer this. When can a baby actually sit up in the high chair for the first time? It, de- well, chair. Varies, it depends on, on how... Yeah, a lot of times kids are sitting definitely by sitting up, definitely by seven, eight months. Well, they are. Six okay. months yeah. is yeah, six months in a high chair. But no, but six months, still six aren't. months unassisted is like Early. generally the earliest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both both my kids were sitting by six months, but both my kids have always been ahead on like the large motor stuff. Oh so, yeah. So um. A lot of people start putting kids in a high chair because a high chair, they're like supported and you can put towel, like can, blankets and stuff around them. Yeah, you can strap them in. Yeah. Um, so in a high chair, like five months at the earliest, I would say. Although you guys put Ethan in that thing really early. Well, that little chair he has. But I mean, it also like cradles him so he can't not sit up. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to say, like, you know, is this chair sitting them for them? Or are they actually, like, sitting up by their own volition? Oh. Yeah. But, like, sitting – one of the things that we followed, which a lot of people don't do, but, like, we followed you don't feed your kid until they can sit independently because it shows just a sign of mm-hmm. readiness and their digestive system is matured enough and all this stuff. Right. Um, because and then it was just like they can sit in a high chair and we also never did purees. The, my, our kids have always fed themselves. 
And so that was just like a sign of they can sit in this high chair, they can grab the food, they can deal with it for themselves and they've always eaten what we've eaten and I think that that like you said mom is something that plays into why they're not picky because it was always just like here's your beets and asparagus baby enjoy Mm -hmm. like as we're eating it you know as long as it was cooked where they could mush it enough with their gums then they've they've always just eaten what we've eaten exactly as it is. Like they've never had a special meal, you know. For, it's yeah, like I prepared I've always, this for you. I've always said, just try something. Just try yeah. two bites of it. You don't have to like it, but two to three bites because the first one is texture with kids. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, and the second time it's like, oh, then they can taste, sort of taste it, but they're still kind of dealing with the texture. By the third bite, they're actually tasting the food, and then after that, if you don't like it, fine. But most of the time, by th- Bite three, everybody's happy. We have my kids have this weird thing that they not with everything, but with some stuff. It's like like fawn used to eat berries all the time, and then Sage became the berry kid, and now she will not eat berries hardly at all at home because she's like Sage likes berries. He should have the berries, and I'm like, you can. There's plenty of berries to go around, but like if she if I put them in her school lunch, she eats all of them. But at home, she's like, well, Sage is, is the one that likes berries. And then, like, cucumbers. Fawn eats, loves cucumbers. Every time mm-hmm. I give them to Sage, he's like, no, Fawn eats cucumbers. I'm like, you can <laughs> eat cucumbers. Why are you? There's this giant cucumber. There's plenty. I don't know why they Rugged individualists. Fawn's kind of had that thing where she thinks, like, only one person can do something. Yeah, it's like, I like purple. She does, She's she definitely used to be like, I, my favorite color is purple. Well, mine is, too. No. No. Yeah, no, a person's favorite color can be purple. <laughs> no. Yeah, she's not as well, she I remember was. One time, there was like a toy that she had, and mom was looking at it, and Fawn was like, "You can't look at this toy because I want to look at it." <laughs> right? I know. Which she just used doesn't to do make that. any sense I know. at all. She used to do that all the time. Kid it, logic. I think that must have been something to do with like having a younger sibling and figuring out how to like share your space and everything. I don't know, but she just she's not as wild about that as she once was which was good because now she's very into her favorite color and dan's favorite color is purple and all this stuff yeah. have we taken yeah. a break no we gotta oh. take it right oh, now oh okay, yep. okay. <laughs> well we've <laughs> like, wait a minute. We haven't break, had a break we haven't gone in between hours yeah right yeah oh, we need to do that okay. right here as a matter of fact so we'll take a five minute break come right we can start the second one at twelve fifteen, and bring our guest on at twelve twenty-five. right and andy yeah. has a you have a clip right i do yeah oh, cool a clip in the, at the beginning of our next episode? Uh, yeah, I got the clip, sure. and then uh, Wendy wants to call in. Sounds so good. We we'll be right back in those. five minutes with part two with the family.